Aristotle said, Youth are heated by nature, as drunken men by wine. Do you live with a teenager or have teen patients? Do you ever wonder what is wrong with them? Maybe nothing. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Todd Clements. Dr. Clements practices adolescent and adult psychiatry at the Amon Clinics in Newport Beach, California. He co-hosts Meyer Clinics Live, a syndicated national call-in radio program focusing on a wide variety of medical and psychiatric issues. Dr. Clements is also the author of Blue Genes, a book about mood disorders. Dr. Clemens, welcome. Hey, thanks a lot, Dr. Lund. It's great to be here. So what is the empirical evidence that adolescents are heated by nature? <laughs> I love that quote. So, well, we say the average behavior of a 13-year-old male is would fit the degree for a psychopath. So, <laughs> so that, that's what you see symptom-wise. But one of the questions has been, you know, what's going on in the brain? The traditional thinking was that your brain, you're born with it pretty much formed. You know, it grows a little bit. If you look at the old therapy training, they say your personality was pretty much set by six years old. We're finding out now that a lot of that's just really untrue. While the brain may not grow as much in size as compared to the rest of the body, we do find that there are numerous changes taking place in the brain, particularly in the frontal lobes. And we're really realizing how much the frontal lobes have to do with your personality makeup and who you are. Interesting, too, we're also learning that the frontal lobe is usually not fully matured until about 25 years of age. So that explains why a 17 or 18-year-old can be smart, and but here again, still make foolish decisions. Now, are these changes based in biology? Right, they are. And in particularly, what we see is a process called myelinization. And really, I look at the brain uh, neurons much like an electrical wire. And I look at um, a process called myelination. You have a myelin sheath that's pretty much like the rubber coating around an electric wire. Well, what we find is that when you're born, there's hardly no myelin covering on the frontal lobe at all. And as you grow and mature, that continues to fill in. Here again, that process goes to about 25 years of age. And what we find is that the more myelin, the better the neurons can talk to each other. In fact, the faster the signal can travel. You know, we know the brain works by electricity. So we say if you have an unmyelinated nerve, it's about the equivalent of walking down the road one mile an hour. If that nerve, however, uh, is myelinated, it can go about 200 miles an hour, about the speed of, uh, you know, Dale Earnhardt Jr. in his car, you know, so that's a big difference. So what does the frontal lobe actually do? It does a lot of things. First of all, it's what allows you to sustain focus. In other words, blot out other distractions and focus on what's important. It also works on your ability to plan out and follow through things. And here I think about this, I say this allows you to really live for tomorrow instead of just the here and now. And you think about a young child, they live in the here and now. They don't know what's going to happen two hours from now and they don't care. You take an adult and they pretty much, many of the things we do today, we've got the future in mind when we do that. You take a teenager, 
they're somewhere in between on that. And sometimes parents don't realize that. Let me give you a good example. I had uh, some parents just last week bring in a 13-year-old boy to see me because they were very angry at him because he had made a D in a class in school. And they said, you know, if he keeps making these kinds of grades, he's not going to be able to get into Stanford. And, you know, we tried to explain that to him. He just acts like he doesn't care. Well, the kid didn't care. I mean, he's 13 years old. I mean, he cares more about, you know, what's happening uh, with the girls at his school than he does about going to Stanford. Now, when he's 17, he'll probably care. But, you know, one of the things that parents sometimes don't realize is teenagers don't think about the future that much. It's a lot more times the here and now. That's one reason we say that, you know, the argument to teens that they shouldn't smoke because they might get cancer later many times has a little bearing because they're not worried about that. I'm, I'm living in the here and now. So as a parent or a clinician, how would you respond? How would you, <laughs> what do you do, Todd? <laughs> well, many times what we find is, you know, somebody that lives in the here and now, what they do respond to is consequences. You know, I learned that if I do this, I get this consequence almost immediately. I'll quit doing that. And if you say, okay, if you smoke, you could get cancer 30 years down the line. Well, I'm not worried about that consequence in the future. But if you say, you know what, if you smoke, you're grounded and can't do this. Oh, well, I'm worried about that because that, that affects me now. You know, that makes a difference in my life now. So we need to think about our interventions as being more relevant to here and now instead of in the future. Exactly. And what you'll find a lot of times is what we say, the frontal lobe has a lot to do with empathy. So many times that's why teenagers their empathy is not totally developed. I mean, you think about a young child. Life revolves around them, but that's the way it's supposed to be. But sometime during adolescence, you're supposed to quit thinking about yourself and think about others. And some adolescents do this faster <laughs> than others. But one thing, sometimes parents will try to use guilt on teenagers. Well, you know, you shouldn't have done that to your sister because that hurts her feelings or this, that. I mean, if a teenager does not have that empathy developed, yet they don't care. It doesn't matter to me how my sister feels because I don't have any empathy for that. But here again, what does that type of teenager respond to? Consequences. You know, if you do that to your sister again, this is going to happen to you. So that's how I get my sons to clean their rooms? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Guilt tripping is not going to work, huh? (laughs) Well, guilting them often doesn't work that well. And, And here's the problem, too. You have to be very careful, I think, when you do guilt a teenager, because what you can find, there are some teenagers that it works on very well, but if you're not careful, what can happen is continually guilting somebody can develop a sense of shame. And as you see, when they become an adult, it's a person that's filled with shame and often will have a very low self-esteem, problems uh, with mood problems the rest of their life, interpersonal problems and relationships uh, the rest of their life too. So I think it's a you know, you have to be very careful with that. One thing we find with the frontal lobes, too, it has a lot to do with impulse control. So we say the, the frontal lobes is like your executive director. So in other words, like if you're driving down the road and a car cuts in front of you, you know, you get that impulse, you know, I'm going to ram you from behind for doing that. And then your frontal lobe kicks in and says, now, wait a minute, that's going to mess up your car. You have to pull over, you'll get a ticket, you may get in trouble. I mean, it's not worth it. And so then you just go on and get over it. Well, someone with problems with impulse control, many times they will act before really thinking something out. And here again, we tend to see that with uh, teenagers as well. 
If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Todd Clements. We are discussing adolescent brains. Now, Todd, you recently completed a book on adolescence, didn't you? That's right. It should be coming out in uh, early 2008. It's called What I've Learned Since I Knew It All. <laughs> That's a great one. Now, let's switch gears here a bit and talk about adolescent bipolar disorder. It seems like more and more and more we're seeing kids being diagnosed with bipolar disorder. What's up with that? What's interesting, in the last decade, the diagnosis has increased over five-fold of, of what it used to be. And so the question is becoming, now, wait a minute, do these kids really have bipolar disorder? I mean, is there really all these new cases? And some people say, yeah, it's just we didn't really notice it before. And some people say, no, it's overdiagnosed. What I've tended to see in my practice, and I you know I see a lot of adolescents who have been sent to me by other physicians, is they may come with a diagnosis of bipolar, but not necessarily have it. And I think several things are leading to this. Number one, with all the warnings that came out about suicidal ideation and use of the antidepressants, a lot of doctors are shying away from using antidepressants in teenagers with mood problems, and instead they're starting with mood stabilizers. Well, what they're finding is many adolescents improve on these mood stabilizers. And so people say, ah, well, you must be bipolar then if you improve on a mood stabilizer. But you can take somebody with depression, somebody even with anxiety, give them a mood stabilizer, and many times uh, they will improve. I think a lot of cases of ADD sometimes are mistaken for bipolar because what we see is these teenagers say, yeah, they have racing thoughts. Yeah, they have a hard time sleeping. Uh, they could stay up all night if they wanted to. And here again, those are some of the very same things that we see with ADD. You know, these teenagers traditionally have a hard time going to sleep. They say that their thoughts race. They tend to be impulsive. Uh, they tend to make poor decisions. There again, as we were just talking a few minutes ago about the frontal lobe, you can see somebody that's very impulsive. If it's an adult, we say, well, maybe that's, you know, something manicky. But here again, if your frontal lobe's not fully developed, maybe being impulsive like that is right where you're supposed to be for your age. It's not necessarily means you're manic. That's a tough problem, though, when we get these patients, we inherit them from somebody else who's had them diagnosed as bipolar, probably on multiple medicines. How do you sort all that out kind of retrospectively once you get the kid on five medicines? Yeah, I think you have to be very careful with that. And one of the reasons I'm always kind of gun shy of diagnosing bipolar disorder, unless I'm very sure of it, is once you put that diagnosis, it, you know how it tends to follow a person around. And, you know, many people don't realize it can affect your ability to get life insurance, to get disability insurance. It may affect your ability to get a job. So, I mean, there can be some ramifications from that. And you think about, we take the uh, diagnosis antisocial personality disorder. Well, how many teenage boys do you see that in? I see it in a ton, but I see the symptoms of that. But you cannot diagnose that until 18 years old. Why is that? Well, because... We know that, you know, somebody that might look like an antisocial person at 14, many times they will, what we say, grow out of that by the time they're 18. So here again with bipolar, I think it's one of those things that you definitely have to watch before you necessarily pull the trigger on the diagnosis. 
And you're right, I do get a lot of teenagers that are on multiple medications. And normally, I will try to, you know, pull them off. I've learned don't ever do anything fast. You just kind of slowly do it and watch them closely. And I think one of the best things you can do as a physician, you know, I can't see them spend a huge amount of time with them, but I do have uh, some good therapists that work here close by that I send them to, and, you know, they monitor, tell me how they're doing. I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Todd Clements, author of an upcoming book called What I've Learned Since I Knew It All. Isn't that right? That's right. That's a great title. We've been discussing adolescents and their brains. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. 